Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Today's reading comes from Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Y'all can take a seat. All right, thanks, Lindsay. Well, good morning. My name is John Odom. I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm grateful that we get to be together I really do feel grateful. Uh, It was uh, in two weeks, we will mark six years that we have been a church. We launched on January 21st of 2018. Uh, So I have very, very precious memories of that day. And it's precious to me still, just the people that the Lord has sent to be a part of our community. And that's, that's you. And so I'm grateful for another year to get to gather and open up the scriptures together. Uh, one of my favorite things, uh, one of my favorite television shows is called 30 Rock. I don't know if there are any 30 Rock fans in the room, just Mike back there, Mike and me, okay. Uh, 30 Rock is a comedy show, it was on NBC a while ago featuring, uh, I was going to say Liz Lemon, Tina Fey as Liz Lemon, Alec Baldwin, Tracy Morgan, and in the show, Tina Fey's character, Liz Lemon, dates a guy that she should not date. His name is Dennis Duffy. Uh, Dennis Duffy is played by the guy who is Chaos or Mayhem or something like that in the Allstate commercials. He's hilarious. And uh, Dennis Duffy's claim to fame in Manhattan is that he's the beeper king. And some of you in this room don't know what a beeper is. And afterward, you can ask someone who's older than you, what is a beeper or a pager? And they can tell you what a beeper is. But there's this really funny interaction between Liz Lemon and Dennis Duffy. Like, Dennis Duffy is defending his industry, saying, listen, beepers are going to be making a comeback. Technology is cyclical. And she responds, no, it really isn't. So if you don't know, uh, this month we're rolling out something that is brand new for Cornerstone, which is church membership. And as I'm talking about church membership, some of you may think that I'm a little bit like the Beeper King. You're like, we have done, we've been just fine in the last handful of decades without the pager, 
without the Betamax VCR, without the rotary dial telephone, without Laserdisc? Isn't the church world doing just fine without this antiquated notion of church membership? So I may say that. Well, I've, I've hesitated on church membership now, coming into our, our, sixth, our seventh year as a church. I've hesitated on it for a variety of reasons. One of them being that I couldn't get my own head on straight about what is the deal with church membership. What is the value of it? What is the purpose of it? How would I explain its benefits to someone other than, you know, like I just kind of grew up in church world and this is what you do. You move to town, you join a church. You know, if you need someone to fill out that, you know, school recommendation, it helps if you're a member, that kind of thing. So I had to get my own head on straight about what is the value, what is the purpose of membership. And two things happened for me that helped me begin to develop an imagination for why this is a conversation that I think is worth having. And one of them happened for me about a year ago when I was assigned a handful of scriptures to preach from. One was from Matthew, one was from Amos, the other was was from 1 Corinthians. Um, and, and this insight about the value of church membership came to me quite naturally from the scriptures. This is, by the way, a really great, makes a really great case for the value of preaching from what's called the lectionary. The lectionary means there are a handful of scriptures every week that are assigned to the preacher in an Anglican church. There's always something from the Old Testament, a gospel, an epistle, and a psalm. And, uh, and what's great about this is that the scriptures kind of set the agenda for us rather than me just cherry-picking the topics that I'm already most comfortable talking about. And so I was reading in Matthew, reading in 1 Corinthians, reading in the prophet of Amos, and this insight came to me from the scriptures that in the Bible, the call to repent and to reform is almost always firstly extended to insiders, And by that, I mean people who are already willfully a part of the community of faith, which makes it all the more interesting, ironic, and troubling that I would say that most folks think we have the opposite behavior as our norm, that many Christians receive our harshest critiques, our most like straightforward criticisms of people who are outside of the community of faith. And we can be the quickest to excuse, we can be the most negligent or ignorant of our own idolatry, our own sins. And this is why people outside of the church don't trust us. I said then, and I believe now, that if we were more sober and serious about our own sin, our own immaturity as insiders, if we readily and publicly confessed, you know what, we have dropped the ball. We have not lived up to the fair commands of Christ. We have not done the things that we said reflect our values and what's most important to us. And we just confess it. We've screwed up. If we were more sober and serious about our own sin and more gracious and free of judgment to those outside of the church, our credibility in the public square would be vastly different. Don't you agree? But then the question occurred to me. Thank you, Kyle. Then the question occurred to me, well, who are the insiders? If we need to give our attention to the people inside the community of faith calling those to maturity, how do you determine who are the insiders? Who are the ones being called to grow up? What's interesting is in the first 300 or so years of the church, it was a less difficult question to answer who are the insiders. 
for, for large portions of the first 300 years of the church, it was very clear who had been brought into the community of faith because everyone who was brought in went through a, a distinct rite of passage that was twofold. One part of it was called catechism. And it was not just doctrine, it was training in Christ-likeness. It was like, let's talk about that Sermon on the Mount stuff, the loving your enemies stuff, the giving to everyone who asks of you stuff, honoring your vows, dealing with your anger, dealing with your lust. Everyone who was baptized, everyone who joined the church went through catechism. And then everyone went through the rite of baptism. One, one historian said that everyone knew that every candidate for baptism was also a candidate for death that they knew that there would be a social consequence to following Jesus. It was very clear who was in and who was out, not about determining who's the coolest, but because everyone went through this rite of passage of catechism and baptism. Well, fast forward to where we are right now. We have a different context. Uh, thousands of years have gone by, and consider how things have changed. Church gatherings now are open to everyone. Back then, you're not going to like share the gospel through a Sunday morning sermon. Church gatherings are just for those who've gone through catechesis and baptism. Not only would you not receive communion if you had not been baptized, you would not be welcome to the gathering in parts of the first 300 years of the church. But think about where we are now. Church gatherings now are open to anyone, but not everyone who is here in the gathering is open to the teaching and the correction of the church. So I kind of meditated on this, it became clear to me that, that there may be something significant about the formal step of joining a church. That by becoming a member of a local church, not only are you identifying with the whole body of Christ, saying, I am part of this thing, you're also communicating to something to the other believers in your local body. You're communicating to them, I am open to correction. I am open to being called to Christ-likeness. And so if and when you see me failing to uphold the high calling of following Jesus, if you see me betraying a Christian sexual ethic, if you see me failing to live out the Sermon on the Mount, if you see me hoarding my resources and not giving, if you see me speaking dishonorably or divisively on social media, if you see me exchanging a kingdom identity for a, political, a partisan political identity, if you see me neglecting or harming the good world that God made or having no regard for the poor or twisting or ignoring the scriptures to suit your own fancy, help me to see the error of my ways. Lovingly speak the truth to me. And as I reflected on this, I thought, wow, church membership may actually be really important. There's a second thing that happened for me this year that's much more practical that, that spurred on this way of thinking. In the fall of 2019, we went through a discernment period and we decided to launch from our home church. Asbury had been our mother church. We launched and moved out of mom and dad's house and at the same time, we made a willful choice to leave a denomination and join the Anglican Church of North America. Now, at the time, perhaps even now, 99.5% of people in the church had no idea what the Anglican church was. And there, as I was rolling this out, there was a very prototypical response to, to how it went. People said, um, it seems like you've done your due diligence. We don't really get the Anglican thing, and we trust you. 
And I found that our joining the Anglican Church was kind of like an arranged marriage. We didn't know each other at first. We didn't necessarily even know how to love each other at first, but we've grown into that relationship over the last couple of years, and it's been a real blessing. It was important to me that we joined some kind of body rather than being autonomous, rather than being lone rangers. To me, it was really important to have someone, a person overseeing me, to have a bishop. I wanted someone uh, to whom I was accountable. I wanted our church to be a part of a body, so it's not just us making this up, but we're inheriting and submitting to a tradition, submission to the Scriptures in the Lord Jesus. But lots of people say they want accountability. It's a great idea until someone actually begins to hold you accountable. It's a little bit like Ryan on The Office. He said, I got away with everything under the last boss, and it wasn't good for me. So I want guidance. I want leadership. But don't just like boss me around, you know, like lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. (laughs) So one of the things that our bishop did in the last year and a half or so was he called for an audit of the bylaws of all of the churches in our diocese, churches for the sake of others. By the way, when I have conversations with with other church planters, bylaws turn out to be a really, really critical conversation for the protection of the mission of the church. Well, one of the things that came up in conversation about our bylaws is that we had no formal mechanism for membership. One of the most important things that the members of a church do is they vote on what's called the vestry, the members of the vestry. To get super churchy, in a traditional church building, you might have a room to the side called the sacristy, where you'd keep the elements for communion and baptism. You also have a room to the side called the vestry, where the pastor, the priest in in an Anglican context, would put on their formal vestments, a chasuble or an alb, a collar, things like that. And a vestry is like this group of people off to the side who, along with the pastor, are, are observing the life of the church and helping to tend to the temporal affairs of the church, things like budgets and staffing and physical spaces, but also like paying attention to are we being faithful to our mission and the doctrine of the church. Well, I realized because we don't have a formal mechanism for voting in those vestry members, we actually have a, a gap in our ability to provide faithful oversight to the mission of our church. And so with all of these, these things we're thinking about for historical reasons, for missional reasons, for discipleship reasons, I'm excited to talk next week. This sermon is going to be pretty good. I'm really excited to preach next week. I hope that you'll come to hear next week. But for all of these reasons, for the sake of protecting what God is doing among us, I became convinced now is the right time, beginning the seventh year of our church, to roll out church membership for the first time. So today, for a couple of minutes, I'm going to explore the question, what is the church? Which may feel like a stupidly obvious question, but an important one to explore. Next week, we're going to talk about what is church membership, The following week, we're going to look at what does it mean to be a member of this local body of believers? Like, we're Anglican. What's the deal with that? We have what we call deep hopes, things that we're aspiring to do and to be as a church. What's the deal with that? And then finally, on the fourth Sunday of this month, we're going to talk about how we will practice church membership in our community. And we're going to follow together what's called a rule of life. And some of you don't know that term, and so after service today, this afternoon, Google rule of life, and you'll begin to develop an imagination for what this is. 
This is going to culminate with a membership ceremony on Thursday, February 1st at 6.30. It's going to be about 40 minutes, so we're going to either cram in or there are only going to be a handful of us and we're trickling in. Uh, we'll see how many I can scare away in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to actually like, uh, have some worship together. We're going to have a formal commitment to being a member of this body of believers. We're going to have a short business meeting where we actually vote in. We, we affirm the members of our vestry. And then we're just going to throw a party and thank God for what he's doing in our community. But before I go any further, I know that introducing this topic of church membership has caused some squirming. One delightful thing about our church, some folks have echoed to me, is that we've never uh, operated in such a way that you've really had to have a DTR with the church. Do you know what I mean when I say a DTR? A DTR means define the relationship. There's never been an, an, an inquiry, an invitation for some kind of formal commitment. And there are folks who are excited about that, folks who maybe squirm about that. I want to address a couple of groups of people real quick. One would be folks who are new to the church, and there are a lot of them in recent months. I think it's generally a good idea to date before you marry, and you may not have had an adequate dating period with our church yet to decide that you're ready to get hitched, you know, to officially join, and that is really, really okay. I think that it's good, you know, like babies develop, they crawl, then they walk, then they run. There's a natural progression to things. So I extend to you the opportunity. We have a dinner on January 24th called Welcome to Cornerstone. If you want to learn how to begin building friendships, if you want to learn how to grow in Christ-likeness in this church, how to make a difference in the world uh, in this, with this church, I hope that you'll come to that dinner. Uh, we'll have childcare, dinner, etc. Sign up if you can come. Uh, the next group of people I want to talk to are folks who have come to Cornerstone wounded. And you're carrying a, a term that we're hearing much more, which is church hurt. You know, there have been podcasts that many of us listen to in recent years, kind of chronicling the story of certain churches that, that grew and then fell apart, and, and it helped some of us to name dynamics that we saw in the American church that may not have been in a huge, huge, huge church that's going to make the news, but in our own ways, we've seen uh, things like spiritual abuse, clergy abuse. We've seen uh, people who wear microphones on their faces uh, not protect the church Sometimes there's narcissism. Sometimes there's, there's faulty governance structures that encourage uh, abusive behaviors. And some of us have come to this community wounded and protective. Some, I, many people echo to me that they're finding Cornerstone to be a place of healing, which I'm grateful for, but you may not be ready to hop in. And I just want to say that that's okay. Um, this may not be the time for you. I also pray that the Lord would just continue that work of healing for you. We are harmed in community and in our families, and also we're healed in community and in our families. So I hope that you'll, as the Spirit prompts you, you'll take steps forward as you need to. A book I would recommend uh, to some of you would be by our bishop, Todd Hunter. It's called What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. And then there's one last group of people that I want to speak to, and it's folks who are, like, are not necessarily new to our church, but who are just reluctant to commit uh, you hear membership, and you're like, I don't know. I'm too in process for that. You have a lot of questions. Church is complicated. You're not necessarily hurt, but you're just like, I don't know about this. One of the things that we've tried to do is to create a culture that's really generous with people being in process. 
So to the best of our ability, we're laying out our understanding of, of the, the commands of Christ, the, the teaching of Scripture, and sometimes it makes things very uncomfortable because we realize the way that we've naturally come into the world butts up against the demands of the gospel, and so there's learning and unlearning that we have to do, and I trust that God has us in His process. You can be in process too. I do want to say that membership is not about who is most valued, who is most liked. It's not about being a part of a clique. Uh, And everyone can engage in the life of this church to the degree of your readiness. I want you to know that. And there may come a time where you feel like the Lord's inviting you to quit squirming, to kind of get off the fence, and to make a formal commitment for your own good, for your own flourishing in Christ. And when that time comes, I hope that you will. Having said all that, let's go to the kind of the framing question for this conversation today. It's the question, what is the church? What is the church? If aliens were to come from another planet and uh, show of hands, how many think there are aliens? Okay. (laughs) Somebody said to me, this is really funny, if you want to have a very interesting conversation with your Uber driver, or if you just aren't in the mood to go back and forth, as soon as you get in, ask, do you believe in life on other planets? And then you can just listen to them talk the rest of the ride. But if aliens were to come and they were just to observe us, and they pay attention to our word choice and how we say things. They don't have, like, you know, the, 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 the view of history. They don't have a dictionary. They're just listening to the words that we say. They would hear some interesting things, some diverging perspectives on this question, what is the church? So I'll give you a couple of examples. It will happen to about six or seven of us this morning that you will get home and you'll say, oh, man, I left my jacket at the church. Or more than likely, you're like, oh, man, I left my kid's jacket at the church. Now, pay attention to the word in that sentence. What is church in that sentence? Yeah, it's a place, it's a building, yeah. It's a a sacred space, a building. Uh, Some of you will leave, you'll run into a friend or family member today, and they know you came here, and they say, oh, how was church today? And in that definition, what is church? It's the worship service itself, yes. Um, okay, I cringe a little bit saying this, but this is the thing that is said. Imagine you go to a really, really great concert, and like there's this euphoric moment where like we all feel alive with electricity, and people are like, man, they took us to church. <laughs> what, what, what is church in that definition? The church in that definition is like a super spiritual moment. Some of us have been to concerts where it's like, whoa, I'm alive. Uh, My friend Andrew, who's a pastor in town, um, I like how he says, if if someone says, I go to church online, he would say, online church isn't. And I tend to agree with that. But if someone says, I go to church online, what is church in that definition? Well, to a certain degree, it's religious content that's on the internet. Now, some people uh, kind of dissatisfied with the whole American church scene, lots of us who would say, like, I'm spiritual but not religious, would say things like, well, being in nature or being outside is my church. Well, what, does the, what is the definition of church in that statement? Well, uh, the definition of church there is it's a feeling of peace or tran- tranquility or transcendence being in nature. I remember being 17 years old. I remember the album I was listening to. And my, I'm with my family. I'm in the back seat. We drive to the crest of a hill, and I can see the vista of the Grand Canyon before me for the first time. It's like I get it, the, the transcendence of the natural world. 
I came across a billboard a number of years ago in another town, and the, the billboard in front of this church building said, for America to be strong, the church must be strong. Well, what is the definition of the church? If you're a total outsider, not having the context, what would you understand the church to be? Well, you might say the church is a support structure for the nation state. But let's think about each of these ways that we kind of unreflectively use this language of church. And I want you to think, does this capture the essence of what we come across in the New Testament? Is the church limited to a sacred building? Is the church limited to a worship service? Is church merely a spiritual moment? Is church religious content on the internet? Is church feelings of peace or tranquility or transcendence in nature? Is church just a support structure for a nation state? I think that all of us would say, like, that doesn't quite get at what I think the New Testament is on about. A lot of variety in those definitions. And I don't want to invalidate anybody's experience. I'm not trying, like, I I can't help myself but sometimes saying, like, hey, are you guys going to come to church today? Sometimes it just happens. But... I believe that words have meanings, and I believe those meanings represent realities, and the words that we, sh- that we use shape our realities. They enforce or discourage certain understandings of realities, and so if we think about this question, what is the church? For me, we would do really well to go back in time and consider what was the original meaning of this word when it's, what's the meaning being encoded, invested in this word? It's like if you think about the church in general, through time, it's like one giant game of telephone. Those of us who've played telephone, you know the message is clearest the closer you get to the beginning. And so as we go to the founding documents of the Jesus movement contained in the New Testament, Old Testament. What is the church? What I want to do in the next couple of minutes is we're going to look at three um, metaphors that the New Testament employs to give us an imagination for what is the church. I could list others, but I'm going to talk about three metaphors used to describe and explain what is the church. The first metaphor that comes to us is the church as the body of Christ. This is what Lindsay just read for us from Romans chapter 12. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member or each part, body part, belongs to all the others. Church as body of Christ. Let's look at another one. And it's the church as the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We've got the body of Christ. We've got the bride of Christ. And finally, we get an an image from the world of animals. It's the flock, the the, the church as the flock of Christ. 1 Peter 5, Peter speaking to pastors, saying, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the flock of Christ. We hear the language of church being used in, in some other ways. It's on the one hand used in, these, in the kind of cosmic sense. Go to Ephesians. This grace was given me to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. The church, the mystery, and the manifold wisdom of God somehow has a part to play in God's cosmic reality. But we also hear the word church used in much more earthy senses, in a much more local sense. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus. It even gets more local than that. Romans 16, the church that meets in Phoebe's house. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, the flock of Christ. It fits in God's cosmic reality and yet is also expressed locally in a city, even in a home. Now, as we think about these metaphors, the bride, the body, the flock, I want to make a handful of observations about these metaphors and what they tell us about the nature of the church. I want to make five comments. One is that these metaphors, the bride, the body, and the flock, are objective. There's an objectivity to them. Except in very, very rare circumstances, your body parts are yours and my body parts are mine. Sometimes there are transplants, but even that is not always successful. Sometimes I bar someone borrows a part from someone else and the body says, I don't want to have that. That's not mine. It will reject it. And then sometimes it will welcome a body part from someone else, like a, a spleen or something or a liver. You have a transplant of some kind and your body accepts it. But at that point, it is a part of your body, no longer a, person, a part of that person's body. There's a certain objectivity to belonging to a body. In the case of a bride, it's objectively clear who belongs to whom. It's clear who was married to whom. There's a contract of some sort. There's a ceremony. There's a, there's a strong sense of exclusivity because of the, the public nature of marriage. There's an objective nature to who is married to whom. In the case of a flock, the shepherd numbers off his sheep. These are the ones entrusted to me. If one of them wanders away, they go and find it and bring it back. They belong to him. Sometimes sheep are purchased by the shepherd and they then belong to his flock. Sometimes they are born into the flock, but there's a certain objectivity. These ones are mine. Those ones are yours. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. There's an objectivity to these metaphors. The second thing I would say is there's a certain permanence about each of these metaphors, the body, the, the bride, the flock. Limbs can be severed, marriages can end, sheep can depart from flocks. I like, a, you know, a lamb chop as much as anybody else. But generally speaking, there's a long-term permanent vision associated with each of the metaphors. The third thing I would say is there's a certain interdependence intrinsic to each of the metaphors, the body, the bride, the flock. Body parts are connected to one another. A flock is comprised of many sheep who bump up against one another. Even the bride metaphor, we are only collectively 
the bride of Christ. It's not a bunch of individual marriages to Jesus. Though we individually put our faith in Christ, our faith, our salvation, peoples us. It brings us into a family. It brings us into a whole of which we are merely parts. Along those notes, the the metaphors used in Scripture to explain the nature of the church communicate belonging. The individual parts belong to the whole. The whole is comprised of the parts. And when we consider how this term is used in the New Testament, we see that this belonging is twofold. On the one hand, it's this belonging to the cosmic, big, you know, Catholic body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. This is reflected well, this definition is reflected well in the catechism of our church. It asks, what is the church? And it answers that the church is the whole community of faithful Christians in heaven and on earth, called and formed by God into one people. The church on earth gathers to worship God in word and sacrament, to serve God and neighbor, and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is that cosmic sense of belonging that we have with the church. But there's also a local level belonging. You belong to that particular body of believers, the church in Ephesus, the church that meets in Phoebe's house. We're part of the whole by virtue of being part of the part, identifying with the local church. And then finally, uh, we, we, we find these metaphors of the scripture in the scriptures to be unambiguously centered around the person of Jesus Christ. It is his bride, it is his body, it is his flock. So considering the body metaphor, if you want to be connected to Christ, who is the head of the body, you will simultaneously be connected to the rest of the body, telling his stories, praying his prayers, applying his saving work to our lives, obeying his teaching, coming to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. So we think about the the images, the metaphors that the Scriptures use to populate our imagination and the, the language that should shape how we talk about what the church is, and we realize the church is not a sacred building. The church is not a worship service. The church is not a euphoric spiritual moment. The church is not religious content on the Internet. The church is not vague feelings of peace or tranquility or transcendence in nature, nor is the church merely a support structure for a nation state. Instead, the church is the collective group of people attached to Jesus, going where he goes, doing what he does, worshiping him and learning to be like him in the world in continuity with this vision of the church that Jesus handed on to the apostles, the vision, the mission of the church Jesus handed on to the apostles. So I could say by repentance and faith through baptism, we become a member of his body. We become betrothed to him as his bride. We are made a sheep in his flock. We express this belonging locally through affiliation with a body of believers, but belonging to his body extends beyond the local church to that cosmic sense that is beyond time and national borders, and it links us with all believers in heaven and on earth who call on his name. Whether we like it or not, 
whether we're comfortable with it or not, whether we think it's a good idea or not, the church is smack dab in the middle of what God is doing in the world through Jesus. And so, it should also be smack dab in the middle of our thinking and our working and our praying and our wrestling. At the same time, I'm sitting writing this, and immediately what comes to mind for me is this line from the Matt Redman song, The Heart of Worship, thinking about the church being the middle of everything that God's doing in the world, and I just think, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. Because it's not an accident that people think that the church is a building, because we've made the buildings an end of our mission. Like the kingdom of God has come, the building has been built. There will be empty church buildings all across this country in the coming decades. We've made buildings the vision. We thought this is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God rather than being merely a tool to serve the people of God. We have, we have overemphasized the, the importance of the worship gathering itself, and we've idolized the worship gathering, turned it into or limited our understanding of what the church is based on the gathering, turning it into a religious variety show and making people who wear microphones on their faces celebrities in the church world who amass a huge following and, and store up huge sums of money for themselves with tons of devoted followers. And so seeing some of the excesses some of the failures to rightly name what is the church, people naturally look elsewhere for some kind of spiritual experience. They go to church at the concert. They escape, they have reprieve from the church in nature where they're encountering the God of creation. And sometimes we have misguided ideas of what the church is by, by parroting it with the idolatry of nationalism. Seeing all the ways in which we've departed from the message at the beginning of telephone that Jesus passed along to the apostles, many people have become so deeply confused, and I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. There are numerous realities for all of us that make the bride, the body, the flock difficult to engage with. Next week, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a member of, of a church and along the way about how we can contribute to rebuilding the trustworthiness of the church. And I will tell you now that it's not by critiquing it from the sidelines or doing a spiritual choose-your-own-adventure all on your own. The only way to change culture is to create more of it. One of the things that is great about my role, that is simultaneously limiting to my role, is that by virtue of like being the pastor, there's a lot of feedback that doesn't get to me for any number of reasons. You'll tell an apprentice group leader or a friend or someone else on staff, but there's a lot that doesn't get to me. But enough has gotten to me that I know that, that putting church membership out there is causing some squirminess among some. And on the one hand, I would say, I get it. But I also want to invite you to consider whether the Lord Jesus isn't inviting you and inviting us into something new for our good. For some of us, something that is truly new, like, like, like willful, volitional, 
affiliation with a local church. For some of us, it may mean tending to old wounds and you feel them resurfacing. You hear membership and you think control, you think power, you think corruption. And there's something that God wants to tend to in you. There's a wound that he wants to put his balm on. As I've said, we're often wounded in community and in our families, but we're also healed in our communities and in our families. Let me ask you to consider a couple of questions. In what ways do you feel naturally tempted or inclined to separate your faith experience from the church? Are there wounds, church-related wounds, that God is surfacing in you that you need to ask the Holy Spirit to heal? And perhaps you never have. You've You've just kind of quietly gone to the side on your own And the Lord says, let me deal with that with you. Let me tend to that wound. All of us, to a certain degree, can relate to this question of what independence or desire for control or lone ranger quality in you is the Holy Spirit asking you to increasingly surrender for your good? And then even in a positive, in a constructive kind of way, what positive aspects of your church experience does God want to bolster and strengthen and build on for your flourishing and for our flourishing together. I want to say as as we get ready to receive communion that this church is far from perfect. And the pastor of this church is deeply flawed. And I say that not merely in a performative way, but in reality, I'm deeply flawed. And there are ways in which we now presently do not live up to the high commands of Christ. But this is the nature of the body, the bride, the flock that Christ has given us. This is his plan A in the world. And there's something about our relationship with one another and our relationship with him that he wants to do something in us, through us, for our good. We cannot be attached to him without having to deal with one another, with all of our warts. May God so work in our lives that with humility, we readily confess our failures. We readily confess our need of help. And may in that posture of brokenness and humility, Jesus do what he always does, how he takes a meager offering and he breaks it and he blesses it and he causes it to be something that can nourish many. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us? Come, Holy Spirit, and manifest your presence. For those whose defenses are up, who are arguing with me in their heads, who are, just think this is dumb, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and you'd get to the heart of the matter for each person. And who, who am I to say what that is? And for all of us, Lord, who are just like, we're just, we're just doing our best. We're just kind of making our way through life. I pray that if there's something new that you want to give us, that you want us to receive from you, that you give us the grace to just um, set our intentions on at least staying in the conversation for the next couple of weeks and saying yes in advance to whatever you ask us to do. 
Lord, I don't always understand why you've chosen to work through the church. But we want to live in your reality. So come and do the things that we cannot do. Repair the things that are broken beyond our ability. As we come to the table, I pray that you pour out your spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.